The following message is from Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. More information about Hope Church can be found at hopechurchonline.com. What's stress the most in life? Um, Making money. Uh, The lack of money. Yeah, because I always have bills to pay, but I don't get paid enough. Yeah, always making sure you make enough money. Got a family at home you gotta take care of, so. Earning money. <laughs> well, especially if you're, uh, if you don't have a job. Money is very stressful, especially since I've retired. Money. How does money stress you out? Because I don't have power without it. Taxes. How's that? I usually don't have the money to pay them. With the current economy, we are asked to do more and more with less and less. Is money at all stressing out? Sometimes. Not right now. How so? Um, am I spending it on the things that I should be spending it on? Um, am I making enough? Or am I just thinking about it too much? Every year, the American Psychological Association produces an annual stress report. And in that report in 2013, the single biggest source of stress was personal finances. 71% of Americans say, my personal finances produce stress in my life. 71%. And we don't even have time to talk about how that statistic is surfaced in the most prosperous nation on planet Earth. Yet, with all the prosperity, 71% of the people say it's money that causes me the most stress. And this doesn't just affect the individual. This is affecting the entire family unit in the United States of America. Kansas State University produced a study in 2012. A lady named Sonia Britt was the head researcher on that study. The title of the study was Examining the Relationship Between Financial Issues and Divorce. They studied over 4,500 families in America. And here's what they said. Financial stress among couples is by far the top predictor of divorce in America. It's not just husbands and wives that are affected by this issue. In that annual stress report that the American Psychological Association produced, they said that 65%, think about that number, 65% of teenagers are stressed out about the family's finances. We shouldn't be surprised by any of these statistics. Rasmussen is a research firm in America, and they recently did a study. And here's what they found about Americans. 50% of Americans say they spend more than they earn. However, 
only 10% of them feel they are living beyond their means. What? 50% of Americans spend monthly more than what comes in. And yet only 10% of them think I'm living beyond my means. What? No wonder we're so stressed out when it comes to money. This month we're in a series simply entitled Stressed. We're really looking at the reality of how to enjoy life and not just endure it. So many people are just enduring. They're just existing and they're not enjoying life. And, and God has a better plan. God has a better way. He's created us so that we could have life and not just life. He said life and life abundantly. If you haven't been here so far, I would encourage you to go online. HopeChurchOnline.com is our website. We have a web page dedicated to this stressed series. We have the last two weeks of messages there. We opened up in week one with kind of an introductory message about what stress is and how we deal with it. And then for the la starting last weekend, we're looking at three topics that are the top three producers of stress in society as the surveys have, have revealed. And last weekend, we looked at the issue of schedule and budget. I'm sorry, schedule and how you manage your time. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at the issue of budget and resources and personal finances because those two things are two of the top indicators of stress in people's lives. We started last weekend by giving you a definition of stress. I want to put it back up on the screen so that we're all working from the same framework. Here's what stress is. Let's read it together. Fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. It's fearful concern. We said there's a difference between fearful concern and genuine concern. We all as human beings experience genuine concern. As Christians, when we're responding rightly to the situations and circumstances in our lives with genuine concern, what that really is is a burden. We talked about that today. We have burdens, and burdens should drive us to the Lord. They should drive us to dependence on God and to intimacy with Him so that those situations and circumstances, rather than becoming obstacles to our intimacy with God, they become invitations to greater intimacy with God, and we grow in our fellowship with Him and laying those burdens at His feet. But when it becomes unhealthy and it becomes fearful concern, instead of looking to the Lord out of a sense of burden, I begin to look to myself and turn from the Lord and try to figure out how I am going to resolve this situation. And stress develops when the demand of life seems greater than my personal ability. For example, with schedule, when it seems like more time is needed than I have to give to a certain situation or circumstance, I get stressed out about it. This weekend, we're going to talk about personal finances when it seems that the financial obligations and needs are greater than my personal ability to meet those needs. If I'm not careful, I drift into this idea of fearful concern and it produces stress in my life. So, so a big question that I want to ask this morning is why are we so stressed about money? 
if the stat is true, and the American Psychological Association does this every year, this annual, if it's true, 71% of the people sitting in this room have fearful concern when it comes to your money, your personal finances, your budget. Because you're looking at the obligations, you're looking at the needs, and you're looking at your own personal resources, and you say, it just doesn't add up, the math isn't there, I don't have enough to meet that need. And so there's this worry, there's this turmoil, there's this anxiety, I'm staying awake at night, I can't deal with it. Why are we so stressed out about money? Well, if we're ever going to take the steps necessary to eliminate stress when it comes to money, we first have to get honest about how we got here. Paul in the New Testament is writing a letter to a young man named Timothy. If you have your Bible, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read some verses here. We're not going to spend the bulk of our time in this passage of Scripture. We're going to be changing over to another text. But, but I want you to look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 because Paul is writing this letter to a young man named Timothy. Now, just so you have the context, Timothy is a young leader in a church that Paul has planted. And Paul established Timothy as a leader in this church. And Paul is writing Timothy about the issues that believers are facing when it comes to their personal finances and to money. And Paul is giving some instruction here. And I think as we read this, we'll discover some of the reasons we're so stressed out about money. Now, not all of these will apply to every one of us individually. But here's what I want to ask you to do. As we look at these four causes... I want you to look at this like James writes in the New Testament. James says that the Bible is like a mirror. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? You see what's wrong, and you do the best you can to try to fix it, right? Some of you hopefully did that this morning before you came here. Some of you maybe need to go back. We'll let you decide who needs to go back, right? But, but what a mirror does is a mirror, you stand in front of it, and a mirror shows you the things that are out of order and... Within your ability, you do what you can to put back into order that which is out of order, right? Well, the Bible says of itself that the Word of God is a mirror. So what I want you to do in this passage in 1 Timothy is I want you to look into it as a mirror, and I want you to let the Word of God reflect into your life some areas where some things are out of order. And then through the vehicle of repentance, I want you to try to bring those things back into conformity with God's standard. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul identifies four reasons at least. There are probably more, but I didn't have time to unpack them all. Four reasons why we stress about money. The first one is we have a lack of contentment. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse number 6. Look what it says. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Man, if we could wrap our hearts around that. You came in with nothing, you're going out with nothing. Verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be, say it out loud, content. One of the reasons we stress about money is because our culture has bought into an enormous lie. Here is the lie of our culture. Contentment is found in getting everything that I want. Listen to me. That is a lie. It's not the truth. 
Paul says here that we should be able to be content when our needs are met. We have confused wants and needs. And we've become obsessed with the idea that if I can just get that next thing, then I'll be happy. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with pursuing a good living. The Bible teaches that we should be people as Christians who demonstrate work ethic and value and work hard for what we earn. There's nothing wrong with pursuing a good living. But if you are not content with what you have, listen, you will not be content when you get what you don't have. Did you hear that? If you're not content with what you have... You are not going to be content when you get what you don't have. Let me give you a perspective on this. If you're reading the devotional that we wrote for this series, you read this this morning. If your household income is over $47,000, you have more material possessions than 99% of the people on planet earth. What must it look like from the perspective of our Heavenly Father when almost everybody in this room has more resources than 99% of the people on planet Earth? And we are not content. We still have to have more. Time Magazine produced an article a few years ago. is written by a man named Greg Easterbrook. And listen to what, what he says. And this is not... Christianity Today, this is Time Magazine. Listen to what he said. If you made a graph of American life since the end of World War II, every line concerning money and the things that money can buy would soar upward, a statistical monument to materialism. Income per American household has tripled. The size of the typical new house has more than doubled. A two-car garage was once a goal. Now we're nearly a three-car nation. Designer everything, personal electronics and other items that didn't even exist a half century ago are now affordable. No matter how you chart the trends in earning and spending, everything is up, up, up. But if you made a chart of American happiness since World War II, the lines would be as flat as a marble tabletop. One of the reasons we're so stressed about money is we have a lack of contentment. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look in the mirror. Are you stressed about money because you're not content with where you are? Listen, if we don't get to the heart issues, the root issues, there are no little steps we can give you to get out of the situation that you're in. There are no little formulas that work to remove the stress in my life. If we don't get honest about why we're here, So that's the first one. Let me give you a second one. Not just a lack of contentment, but it goes further into we have a love of money. Look what Paul writes again. Go back to 1 Timothy 6, pick it up in verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Listen to this. Which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Notice he doesn't say money. The love of money. Money's just a tool. It's a resource. Money's not evil. It's the love of money. It's a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And listen to this. Pierced themselves. 
with many a grief. They didn't have the term in Paul's day, but you know what that really says? Stressed themselves out. The word grief there in the Greek language is a word that literally means distress of the mind and body. Paul says, by being obsessed with a love of money, I'm doing this to myself. And Paul here is describing a person who is willing to go to any lengths to obtain more. A person whose identity is wrapped up in their material wealth. Instead of an identity being rooted in who we are in Jesus, our identity is rooted in what we have. Listen. We've got to get past the love of money. Do you always need a bigger house, newer car, latest technology? Can I just tell you? That's a cup with a hole in the bottom of it. The more you fill it, the faster it empties. And you are trying to fill it again. We have a love of money. So here's what I want you to do. Look in the mirror. Are you stressed out because you have a love for money? How do I know? Where's your identity? Is your identity wrapped up in what you have? Do you feel this insatiable desire to keep up with the people around you when it comes to possessions, Technology, cars, homes. Do you feel this insatiable desire? There's got to be more and more and more. Let me give you a third reason. Paul says we, we, we stress out. Not only because we have a lack of contentment, a love for money, but number three, because we don't manage our money by God's design. Let's keep reading in First Timothy. And notice... I'm not right now jumping around in the Bible. We're just reading one paragraph in one letter to one church, and Paul's just going boom, 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 like it's 2014, right? And he's writing this in the first century. It's almost as if it was inspired by a holy God who sits on the throne in heaven and is sovereign over all the universe, who exists outside the parameters of time and doesn't see time as we see it. But, well, let's just go back to the text. Verse 11. He says, but flee from these things. What things? What he's just been talking about. A lack of contentment, a love for money. The word flee here means to run away from. And it's not a suggestion, it's an imperative. It means it's a command. He's speaking to the church and he says, as you live in this world, this world system is going to be driven by an insatiable desire for material possessions. And if you're not careful, you have a lack of contentment. If you're not careful, you'll have a love for money. But here's what I'm telling you. Run away from it. And then look what he says. Run away from it, you man of God, and pursue. That's the opposite of the word flee. The word flee is an imperative. It's a command that means to run away from something. The word pursue is also an imperative. It's a command that means to run to something. God says run away from that and here's what you're to pursue. What does he say? Righteousness. What is righteousness? It's really God's divine standard. 
pursue righteousness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Then as you skip on down in this text, if you down to verse 17, I think is where I go next. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know what that tells us? God gave us in his word a divine standard of what it looks like to relate to material possessions. And here's what Paul is saying. Oftentimes we are stressed out because we've deviated from God's divine design. Now, there are really two groups of people in the room if this is your issue. If you're looking in the mirror and this is your issue, you're either here because you know God's design... And you've willfully chosen to rebel against God's design and tell God, God, my plan's better than your plan. I'm going to do what I want to do. Let me tell you what that results in. (laughs) Or some of you are in that situation because you didn't know God has a divine design. You've not asked the questions. You've not sought God's word to understand his divine design. So... Here's the question I want you to look in the mirror and ask. Are you stressed out because you've been disobedient to God's design for money management? Any one of these first three issues. If you have looked into the mirror this morning and you are stressed out because of a lack of contentment, a love for money, or you're not obeying God's divine design... The first step to eliminating stress in your life is one Bible word. It's not a very popular word in the church in America today, but it's one Bible word. You know what it is? Repent. Repent means to turn away from something and turn towards something else. Today, if I have a lack of contentment, and what needs to happen for some of you today to begin to take a step towards stress-free living when it comes to finances is just good old-fashioned repentance, just turning from your way, your control, your ideas to the Holy One that made you and surrendering this area to Him and bringing your life into conformity with His divine design. But there's a fourth reason that sometimes we're stressed out. Paul doesn't mention it here in 1 Timothy, but... Sometimes we're in the middle of circumstances that are just beyond our control. You see, not always am I stressed out in the area of personal finances because of something that's in my heart that needs to be dealt with. Sometimes you can be right where you're supposed to be and still be in the middle of some situations and circumstances that can produce stress. Sometimes you're content, you're not loving money, and you're honoring God with your finances. And things still can come unraveled. Remember the story in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah the prophet tells the people that there's going to be a drought. And God tells him to go out to a brook. And he was going to let the birds feed him out there by that brook. And the brook was going to provide water for him. And Elijah did just what God said. Elijah preached there's coming a drought. The judgment of God is coming on our people. And Elijah went out to the brook, and there he found water, and the ravens brought him food daily. And then you know what happened? The brook dried up. He's right where God told him to be, doing exactly what God told him to do. And 
The brook dry. Sometimes you're everything God desires and the brook just dries up. But listen to me. When the brook dries up, it's because he wants to do something he couldn't do for his glory and to prove his faithfulness to you without the brook drying up. So if the brook dries up, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because there's a testimony around the corner. Now, look in the mirror. Are you stressed out today about your finances because of a situation that's beyond your control? I want you to look in the mirror, those four questions. I want you to wrestle with them. But here's what I want to say to you. I've got good news. Because no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, Jesus said something that is a word for us today. So turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus' greatest sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you've been a, a long timer here at Hope, we spent a year and a half preaching through these three chapters. What Jesus preached in an afternoon took us a year and a half to unpack. These three chapters are just filled with wisdom from the person of Jesus. And in this sermon, Jesus has transitioned to begin to talk about money. And Jesus has just said some things like, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus has just said some things like, no man can serve two masters. It's either God or wealth. You can't serve both. Now, I want to pick it up, and I want you to hear this word from Jesus to you today if you're stressed out about finances. Verse 25. For this reason, now he's just been talking about finances. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. This next phrase is powerful. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into a furnace... Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? But the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Listen, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, they'll be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, that's straight from Jesus to you and me. From his lips to our ears. That's what he said. Now, what I want to do in the time I have left is I want to try to give you a defining statement that really summarizes everything we just read in those verses. Here's the statement. When I honor God with my budget, 
I can trust Him to satisfy all of my needs. I want you to read that out loud with me this morning. You ready? One, two, three. When I honor God with my budget, I can trust Him to satisfy all of my needs. The word budget there, you could define it like this. It's how I manage what He has entrusted to me. When I manage what He has entrusted to me in a way that honors Him, I can trust Him to satisfy all of my needs. Now that raises two other very important questions. Number one, what does it mean to honor God with my budget? (laughs) What does that look like? I want to quickly give you three handles that you can kind of wrap this around. And again, I know we have sometimes at Hope, we've taken several weeks and unpacked what I'm trying to do for you this morning in one message. So I'm going to try to, as quickly as I can, but also exhaustively as I can, answer that question. Uh, But what does it mean to honor God with my budget? There are three major components after years and years of, of walking with the Lord myself personally and years of trying to... I understand these principles for my family, and now years of teaching these principles, both in our church and in churches all across America and around the world, I really believe that you can hang this idea of honoring God with finances around three things. There are three major issues if we're going to do this. Number one is give to the Lord. That's number one. That's why Jesus here said, seek first. You hear what he said? When it comes to managing our money, Jesus is very clear. Look back at the end of verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, so here's what you do. You seek first his kingdom. Now, I know what we're thinking. That really doesn't add up economically. If I want to make sure that all my bases are covered and all my needs are met, the first thing I need to do is focus on me. God's economy doesn't work like that. You say, explain that. I can't. It's just what he said. He said if we really want to get to the place where we understand what it is for him to be our provider and meet all of our needs, here's what we do first. First, we seek his kingdom. And that's not a new principle with Jesus here in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, look what it says. It says, honor the Lord... From your wealth and from thee, say it out loud, first of all your produce. Now the word produce here is a word that just means increase or revenue. The word first is a word that means best or chief or choicest part. Here's the principle. Out of every source of income that I have, I am to first give back to the Lord. This means I don't sit down, do my budget, pay all my bills, get everything I want, see what's left over, and then tip God out of that. Now, we laugh at that because it's kind of funny. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you there's a bunch of people stressed out about money because that's the approach. And listen, it's never going to get resolved when God is a leftover thought when it comes to my material possessions. It's never going to get resolved. And listen, 
I'm not up here telling you this because I'm a pastor and I pastor a church and we need you to give. That's not why I'm telling you this. Listen, for 25 years as a pastor, for over 20 years now being married and leading my family, I have been able to enjoy the freedom of this principle. And the word that God put on my heart this morning is freedom. If you will grab this principle, God will set you free when it comes to your personal finances. I'm telling you. Now, it raises the question, well, how much do I give to the Lord? Well, that's between you and the Lord. That's the truth. That's between you and God. Nobody can automatically tell you, here's what you have to do before the Lord. You have to get with the Lord and determine that for yourself. What I can do is I can share with you my personal conviction. But listen to me. I'm qualifying it. It's my personal conviction. When it comes to the issue of what we're to give and how much we're to give, that's an individual believer before the Lord understanding and interpreting the Word of God in your life. You have to do that, okay? Let me tell you what my conviction is. My conviction is, for my family, the starting place is 10%. It's a starting place. It was taught in the Old Testament. They called it the tithe, a 10% principle. People say, well, that's the Old Testament law. Well, that's true. But actually, tithing started before the law with Abraham, 400 years before the law was given. And in the New Testament, there's not one example of the church giving that was less than that. It was always way more than that. So for my family, we just established that that 10% of all of our income was a starting point. And we really developed the conviction that that really belongs to the Lord. That's not even mine to pray about. Then above that... We give offerings to the Lord in a sense of gratitude for everything He's done for us. Now listen to me. There's only one place in the Bible where God said, You don't believe me, you just test me. You know what it's about? It's about this. Let me show it to you. Malachi chapter 3. Look at it on the screen. Bring the whole tithe, there's that Old Testament word, the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. You hear what He said? You bring it in, you just test me. Just test me. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Give to the Lord. Number two, save for the future. Save for the future. This is a second big piece of managing what God's given us in a way that honors Him. Not only give to the Lord, but save for the future. Listen to what Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, and I'm giving it to you in the New Living Translation. He says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Here's what he's saying. The Bible says if you don't prioritize saving for the future, you're living foolishly. Wisdom demands we set aside some to save for the future. Living within your means doesn't simply mean I don't spend more than I earn from a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, living within my means helps me understand that I'm also saving for the future. You say, well, how much do I save? Again, you and the Lord got to determine that. For my family, we've decided 10% is a minimum we're going to try to put aside and save as a minimum you got to hear from God about your own conviction, but you got to determine it. Let me show you this out of Time magazine, an article they wrote in May of this year. 
The typical American family is saving nothing. A new analysis of government data shows. Perhaps most unsettling, this zero savings rate seems largely a spending problem, not one of too little income or unexpected hardship. Time magazine. Americans are saving nothing. It's a biblical issue because the Word of God says wisdom puts some aside for the future. This isn't just a money management talk. It's me bringing my life into conformity with God's divine design. First, I give to the Lord. Second, I save for the future. Here's the third one. You budget on the rest to live. Give to the Lord. Save for the future. Budget to live. Let me show it to you in Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The word plan here is a word that means intention or purpose. The word advantage means a favorable position. Here's what he's saying. Wisdom demands that I manage my money with an intentional purpose, and it promises when I do that I'll be in a favorable financial position. You know what Proverbs said? Proverbs said, you set a budget and live by it, you're going to be better off. Duh. That's not rocket science. But look what it says. Everyone who's hasty comes surely to poverty. The word hasty is a word that means urgency or spur of the moment. If you just spend based on spur of the moment, whatever happens to be in front of you, here's what he says. You're going to come to poverty. Rasmussen, in that report I quoted earlier, here's a frightening reality. 50% of Americans have no monthly budget. 50%. It means half the room has no monthly budget. We're just spending based on whatever bill happens to be in front of us. I'm spending right now. I'm just cutting the checks. No budget, no intent, no purpose. Proverbs says that's foolish. So so what I want to do is I want to give you this in a visual. I want to give it to you as a target. We gave this out a couple of years ago, but I think it's so helpful. I want to put it up here on the screen. Here are these three principles as a target. Give to the Lord, 10%. Save for the future, 10%. Budget to live on 80%. Now again, those percentages, you got to get with God and determine on your own, your personal conviction, what I'm showing you is my minimum conviction for my family. And again, please hear me. I'm telling you up front, that is my conviction. you got to hear from God about yours. This is the target that my family seeks to, to live by as a minimum. Those percentages move as we sense God speaking into our lives. But that's a minimum target for us. Here's the two questions I want you to wrestle with. I believe this is a biblical target. After years of studying this principle, question number one, are you even aiming at it? You see, if the stats are true, there's a whole lot of people that aren't even aiming. Listen, you're never going to hit a target you're not aiming at. Are you even aiming at it? Now, If you are aiming at it, here's my question for you. How's your aim? Some of you today need to establish this as a new biblical framework that you're bringing your life in. And listen, it's not a one-step deal. This is a process. I understand it. And because it's a process, we have a lot of tools that we want to offer to you today. 
For example, this week we're beginning a new class called Financial Peace University. It's led by members of our church that have expertise in this area. We would love over the next several weeks to help you take the steps towards implementing this type of plan into your life. You can sign up today at a table in the lobby as you leave and become a part of this class. Where we're going to walk you through some steps of how to implement this over time into your daily life. We have four different books that are available at the resource table today. Some by Randy Alcorn, some by Andy Stanley, some by uh, Dave Ramsey. Different books that are out here that you can purchase and take home with you that will help you implement this. We've also, on the front page of our website, put a link to a series we taught two years ago called Money Problems, where you can go to there and you can click that link and you can watch that series and begin to see how we unpack this over more than just one weekend. But we want to help you begin to implement this because it's imperative if we're going to remove stress when it comes to money, we've got to get back to honoring God with how we handle what he's given us. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, let me give you the last question. We're going to be done. If I aim at that target, Pastor, how do I know I can trust him to satisfy my needs? Listen, it's an honest question. It's an honest question. And I know what I'm challenging some of you when you see that target. Some of you are so far from that target, the thought of even trying to get there you're already feeling, you've grabbed for the tums in your pocket or your purse, right? You're beginning to, oh my goodness, listen, and the thought of trusting God when it comes to money because we're taught something so different from that in our culture. The thought of trusting God can be very intimidating. How do I know I can trust Him? That's what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 6. Let me give you some reasons why you know you can trust Him. Number one, I can trust him because of his relationship to me. Twice in these verses that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 6, he reminds us that God is our heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father. How many moms and dads in the room? Let me see your hand. Moms and dads. Just hold them up for a second. That's a lot of moms and dads in the room. You can put them down. How many of you are considering not meeting the needs of your children this week? Now, there may be times we think about it, right? Some of you want to raise your hand, but you're in church, so you feel bad about it. <clears throat> moms and dads, we, it goes with the role, right? We're not wrestling this week. We may be wrestling with how we're going to do that, but not if we're going to do that. Why? It's our kids. I'm their dad. It's what I do. God's given me that responsibility. We didn't read it, but if you read down a few verses in Matthew chapter 7, listen what Jesus said. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more? How much more? Will your Father, who's in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him? Listen to me. You are a loved, accepted child 
of the Father. And he is not wrestling this week with whether or not he is going to meet your needs. If you are honoring him and content and not loving money and pursuing him, he's only determining how he's going to meet your needs. Your relationship to him gives us encouragement. Listen to what John said in John 1.12. He said, but as many as received him, to those who received Jesus, to them he gave the, say the next word out loud, right. It's a legal term. It, it, it describes the power entrusted, the authority given. He said, if you've received Jesus, you have the authority to be called the child of God because he's my father. Jesus twice said, what are you worried about? Your heavenly father, your father. Number one, his relationship to me. Number two, his sovereignty over me. Your, listen, heavenly father. The word heavenly is a word that means celestial. It speaks to the bigness of God. We have so lost sight in our culture of the bigness of God. What we need is an awakening about who God is. Listen, if you could get a glimpse today of his glory, if you could see his majesty, if you could just be overwhelmed with how big he's not just our father, he's our heavenly father. Listen to the way the book of Isaiah writes it. Isaiah says this, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. You get that? Here's God speaking. I'm sitting on heaven and propping my feet up on earth. Wrap your head around that imagery. Now, how little, how little does your need become in light of that? Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where then's a house you could build for me? And where's a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus, to, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Here's what that says There's no need in my life that's too big for God. Listen, what are you stressed about financially? What are you stressed about? Listen to me. God's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. Trust Him. Let me give you a third one. His sufficiency, adequacy, abundance for me. I couldn't decide which word I like, so I gave you all three of them. I couldn't. You, you, you have no idea how much time we spend wrestling down to get to one word. I couldn't decide. So, so I just gave you all three of them, and here's what they all mean. He's enough. He is enough. Jesus here talked about this principle, how God was meeting the needs of the birds and the lilies of the field. And he's talking about the sufficiency, the abundance, the adequacy of God for us. Paul said it this way. Paul said, my God will supply all your, what? Needs. Now, notice this. The only your in the sentence goes with needs. Because the rest of it's all about him. My God will supply all your needs according to, praise God, his riches. In glory. In Christ Jesus. That's a lot of power prepositional phrases at the end of that verse. My God. And now, now you got to know this about Philippians 4 where he said this. 
He wrote this in a passage where he taught what it meant to honor God with our resources. This isn't a blank check for Christians. This is a promise when we're honoring God with what he's given us that God will meet our needs. He'll satisfy our needs. I got to tell you a quick story. Quick story. Two weeks ago, my son, Caleb, sitting right over here. I didn't, Caleb, I'm sorry. I normally ask their permission before I tell their stories, but can I tell this story? All right. I knew he'd say yes. Two weeks ago, we were, uh, Caleb calls me. I'm at the gym working out. I'm on a treadmill. He calls. I jump off and, and, and grab the phone. And he said, Dad, my car just blew up. I said, what do you mean my car blew up? He said, he said, everything started smoking. All the bells started going off. I pulled over. The engine died. Quit. Done. So Caleb drives a Toyota 4Runner, older one. I called a buddy of mine that works on 4Runners and said, hey, tell me what, I'm, what, I, what should I expect here? Because this is an older 4Runner. It's not worth a whole lot of money. So we were thinking, is it worth even putting money into it? And he said, well, he said, there's a possibility it's this and it'd be, in, it'd be small, but more than likely, it's, it's much bigger than that, and you're probably talking $1,000, $1,500, dollars to get that fixed. And so I told Caleb what I found out and said, hey, take it in the shop. Let him look at it. Let's get some information. We'll go from there. And Caleb's, you know, he's, he's a young man, got a job. He's honoring the Lord with what God's given him, but this was a big deal. And I just remember we talked. We texted back and forth, talked back and forth. We, we settled on the reality that God's got a plan. We don't know what it is, but God's got a plan. But it's a big deal. He takes it to the mechanic shop. They, they tow it in. They look at it, call him back, and he calls me, and he says, you're not going to believe it, Dad. It was the one thing that didn't hardly cost anything. He said it's going to be between like $150 and $180, $190 to get the whole thing fixed. Now, that's awesome because right there on the phone, we said, see there, I told you, God has a plan. He's in control. We can trust him. You honor God. That was on like a, what was that, like a Thursday, Friday? Yeah, it was a Friday. Friday morning. Sunday morning, I'm, I'm at the guest center. A guy randomly walks up to me, hands me two checks made out to me. I stuck them in my pocket. Get back here. $180. (laughs) Sunday, we're having lunch after church. I walked up to Caleb and said, how much you said it's going to be? Somewhere between $160 and $190. I said, well, apparently this isn't for me. It's for you. And I handed it to him. Let me say, here's what I'm saying. He's enough. In the big stuff, in the small stuff, he's enough. If we'll honor God with what he's given to us, God will satisfy our needs. He's enough. Here's number four. His intimate knowledge about me. Did you hear what he said in verse 32? Your heavenly father knows you need all these things. Did you hear that? He knows. And I love this word. We don't have time to really unpack it. But the word knows here, it's not the kind of knowledge you gain from experience. It's a, a knowledge that is intuitive. It means you know it without having to be told. Here's what it says. God doesn't know what you need because you told him. He knows what you need because he's God. That ought to encourage you today. God knows your need before you have it. And he has both the power and provision to satisfy that need. What are you stressed about? Do you hear that? God knows what you need before you need it. And he has both the power and the provision to satisfy that need. What are you stressed about? Here's the last one. His value of me. Did you hear what he said? Are you not worth much more than they? His value of me. The word worth here is a word that means to be better than or superior to. God says here in his word, Jesus says to us as human beings, you are the crown of creation. 
if God makes sure that every animal, every plant, has got what it needs, as the crown of creation, are you not worth much more than they? And let me tell you the ultimate demonstration of that. The greatest need you and I have ever had is to have our sin taken away. Greatest need we've ever had. No material situation in our life can ever even get close to the enormity of our need when it comes to our sin. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If that doesn't prove to you that our Heavenly Father will go to every length to meet every need of your life, nothing ever will. What does that verse mean? Here's what it means. Because of our sin, we were separated from God. The very reason we were created to exist, we couldn't have a relationship with God. But God loved us so much, He wasn't going to let us stay there. He sent His Son Jesus into the world. God became a man, lived a sinless life, and on the cross died for our sin. Then He rose again from the dead. And the Bible says if you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, who is a demonstration of the love of God for us, if we turn, it's that repentance word, if we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus, we get to be forgiven and we get the right to be called the child of God. And guess what? The rest of it is just part of the package. God meeting all the other needs, it goes with the first one. When I get in on that one, I get the rest of it. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, God, would you speak to us today in a way that only you can. And Lord, as we now spend a few moments just responding in worship to you, God, would you very clearly by your spirit communicate these truths to our heart. The stillness of this moment as you sit before the Lord. First of all, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus... You've never experienced the forgiveness that can only come through Him. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship to the Lord. It'll be the last thing we do and then we'll let you go. It's not a time to leave early. It's a time to really reflect on what God said. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, when we stand to sing in just a moment, you can come down one of these aisles. You can, we're going to have some pastors here at the front. You can come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus we'll have somebody sit down with the Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God, how you can experience the power of the gospel in your life today. You can leave here forgiven. You can leave here a child of God. You can leave here knowing Him. Others of you today, maybe you're here and you've got one of those burdens like we talked about earlier and you want to come to one of these pastors today and just have us pray over you. We'd be honored to pray with you today. Maybe you're here and God's spoken to you in this area of personal finances and you just want to right there in your seat with either by yourself or with the people that you came with. You can just make some things right with the Lord. You can come and get in this altar, these steps here, and you can just kneel before the Lord and just be alone with God. You can repent about contentment or a love of money, or maybe today you need to repent about not managing your resources as God's called you to. 
This is just a time to just get right with God as we worship in his presence. Lord, speak to us today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Hope Church. We would love to connect with you, so be sure to follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LV.